podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello, welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro, live on Discord. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Late, but I was still here before you. This is this is scandalous accusations that are being thrown around. And the only reason I wasn't spotlessly on time was because I thought we were doing it on Skype and forgot about Discord. But I was still here before you. That is factual. No, I was no, 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 no. I was here first. I just hadn't plugged in the microphone. Oh, <laughs> Guy Drinkle, do you hear these excuses? This is shameful. Add more minutes to his tally. For the season, I'd like to point out, I'm 18 minutes late across the season and Carl Matchett is 29 minutes late across the season. So, you know, it is going the way it's going and nothing more can be said. Nothing more really to be said about... Liverpool in the transfer window, Carl. We have talked about Luis Diaz. We have talked about Fabio Carvalho. We've talked about the Premier League in depth. But we haven't really taken too much of a look at clubs around Europe and what they did. So I thought today we would have a look at some of those, as well as taking a little look at this weekend's opponents, Cardiff City, who the Reds will face in the FA Cup. And by a little look, I mean we'll just announce them as garbage and talk about who might play for Liverpool. So, let's start with transfer stuff because it's just more fun. Let's immediately go to Serie A where Juventus pulled off one of the biggest deals, maybe the biggest deal of the window, bringing in Dusan Vlahovic from Fiorentina for about 70 million euro. Uh, It appeared that he was going to stay where he was until the summer, having turned down the interest of Arsenal. But Juve made the move and got their man in the door. They also then followed that up with a very smart signing, being Dennis Zakaria for about €4.5 million plus some add-ons, all while selling Bentoncourt to Spurs, loaning Bentoncourt Sorry, loaning Kulusevsky to Spurs with an obligation to buy and loaning Aaron Ramsey to Rangers with an option to buy that I don't think anyone believes will actually be taken up. What are your thoughts on Juve's window as a whole? Well, first of all, they were playing catch-up a bit. Um, The season has definitely been on an improving streak, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, but they're coming from a long way back, to be perfectly honest. Uh, it took Max Allegri, I think, a lot longer than he expected, as well as everyone else expected, to get this side in some vague sort of order. Uh, Zakari, I think, is a, a decent addition in terms of the squad. Um, 
there's a long way for him to go to get back to his best, to be perfectly honest. He's not been anywhere near what he's capable of uh, throughout 2021 as a whole, coming off the back of a long-term knee injury, obviously, and in a team which was very, very hit and miss any given week, I think. Um, but given the exits of Ben Sankor and Ramsey and the fact that there was probably still no nailed-on partnership there in the middle, even Artur was on, on the verge of leaving about three or four times as well, so I think he's got a good opportunity to make himself a presence there in the middle of the pitch for Juve. That should improve them and let them be a bit more consistent, I think, in terms of team selection. Vlajevic is a different case. I mean, that's that's a guy coming in to be a first choice straight away. And I think that a genuinely top tier, not just goal scorer, but talent, overall talent, because obviously they did have Ronaldo as a regular source of goals, whatever, about his performances last year. But someone who can actually contribute from minute one to minute 90, week after week in attack. I think that they've missed that for a few years, to be honest. And I'm not 100% sure how he's going to be paired up in the attack. I mean, look at him and Dybala, for example. I wouldn't say that they're a natural fit as a two. You'd see them overlapping in terms of where they like to be, spaces dropping deep, pulling out to the channels, that sort of thing. But there's definitely lots and lots of scope for mix and match with Morata or for one player coming in behind him, for example. There's a, a lot of tactical alterations now that he can make with that one signing, as well as it being obviously a player who is on a much higher level than they have been in attack. Yeah, and he does feel like he could well be a foundational piece for the next great Juventus team. The likes of him, Chiesa, when he comes back from injury, I know they're hoping to keep De Ligt beyond this season and develop him into the centre-back that you know they hope he can become. So with Paratici out, they've got a lot of a lot of fixing to do and part of that was getting rid of the likes of Aaron Ramsey. I, I don't particularly like the Kulisewski deal for them. I think they've given up on him too early, but I understand that they need to get money in because financially they're not in the best situation, even though they went and dropped seventy million on a player. Let's look at their rivals for Syria this season, and I think personally Inter Milan pulled off maybe the biggest heist of the window. They got Robin Gosens on an 18-month loan with an obligation to buy. I think that's a sensational signing. They also brought in Felipe Casado as a backup striker. He's not particularly good, but he'll give them a bit of depth up front. They loaned out Stefano Sensi, who I know you're a big fan of, to Sampdoria. Martin Satriano also loaned to Brestois. And Colidio loaned back to Tigre in Argentina. Christian Eriksen left the club with the agreement to terminate his contract because he couldn't get cleared to play in Serie A. I think Robin Gosens is a very, very special addition for this team. As a wing-back, you couldn't ask for better. Yeah, I have to agree. We were talking about uh, Gosens and you know a couple of the Atlanta boys actually for some of the Premier League teams who needed a wing back and even cover on both sides of wing backs and look I don't know how they've managed to do this deal on loan uh, without it having to be a permanent mid-season transfer especially obviously Atlanta in the, the position that they are in going for another top four finish. Um, this is probably a deal which is as good for Juventus as it is for Inter to be perfectly honest. Uh, it weakens Atlanta. I mean, Caicedo is just. I think Inzaghi looking for somebody cheap and who he already knew, obviously, and just comes in as a, a backup for Eden Dzeko. Basically, if you need a late battering ram or rest him or he's out injured for a couple of weeks, then there's your alternative who's going to be 
more or less similar in terms of profile and what he's asked to do from a tactical perspective in the team. So a good window for Inter in terms of just giving themselves a couple more options, making sure they're not going to be short anywhere. Sensi, I mean, I, I did very much like him across, like let's say, 2020, for example, 2020-21. Um, but a long-term injury from last season, struggled to get into the side this year, had an MCL earlier in the year, which I think kept him out for about two months. So game time is important for him. And hopefully he can get back to that level he was before, because obviously it's been quite a while now and he missed the Euros and a few uh, a few negative moments in his career now, you'd say, since that early, really good, strong spell after he went to Inter on loan. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Inter are top of the league. They're four points clear with the game in hand. They're looking very, very strong to retain their title. If there's a couple of teams that are positioned, at least, to maybe challenge them, it's Napoli and Milan. Napoli's only incoming was Axel Tunzebi on loan uh, from Manchester United. Costas Manolas left to go back to Greece. He's gone to Olympiacos. Amin Yunus is gone on a free transfer. Costa, Falarunjo and Catalone all loaned out. Little bit disappointed that Napoli weren't a bit more active, a bit more aggressive, because while it does feel like it's Inter's title to lose, this Inter team doesn't feel as... It doesn't feel as dominant as last year's Inter. No, I'd agree. I mean, obviously, I think the manager is a part of that. I like Inzaghi, and I think he's doing a really good job, and he's deserves the shot at the Inter job, but he's not as got as much of an aura, or obviously as much experience at that top level as Conte did, so that's fair enough. Um, I feel like we probably need to spend a good 30 seconds on the decline of Manolas and how quickly that happened. Do you know what it reminded me of? Do you remember when we had Stefan on show? And he went from being a good Premier League defender to being completely unplayable in about a fortnight. It was kind of like that. And they're similar types of centre-back. They're big, strong, but kind of heavy built. Never really had great pace. The, The type that when they ran, you could almost feel the ground shaking. And the same sort of thing happened to Manolas, where there wasn't really any pace to begin with begin with but whatever was there just sort of disappeared overnight and he went from being one of the better defenders in the league to being someone Napoli couldn't play yeah I mean that is a a huge huge drop and it's well I mean we remember when when he joined it was going to be the Manolas and Koulibaly for half a dozen years and they barely got off the ground in the end they didn't really look suited as a partnership and, and certainly not how we thought they were going to be um, Milan, I thought, might do a, one or two bits of deals as well this winter, especially as I think mm. there'll be a little bit more of a turnover for them this summer. I mean, we already know that they're almost guaranteed now to lose uh, Frank Kersia, for example. Um, I thought maybe there would be an addition in defence as well between Pierre's age, Romagnoli still being largely out of form. So maybe there could have been one or two that they got done there. Kind of like Liverpool have with Diaz, I suppose, in terms of you've got them if you need them and they could be good this year, but really you're looking at next year and beyond for them. Uh, so a little bit different, dif- disappointed from that perspective, uh, especially with obviously this weekend coming up, the first league game after the transfer window is shut, is the Milan derby. That's a really, really big opportunity for Milan to try and close the gap on Inter, uh, underscore that they do have title credentials themselves and maybe a little boost to the squad might have helped in that regard since they haven't won either of the last two games 
and against Juventus were, I think, quite disappointing. Considering they're the home side, they're better off in the league. Sure, if they're only going for a top four, then all you've got to do is keep Juve at bay. But I think that the option, the, the opportunity was there for Milan to put a bit of a marker down and they're a bit disappointing there. So they're against Inter on Saturday afternoon, I think it is. And uh, much better performance required if they want to challenge for the title. Agreed, agreed. And the only player they've brought in is Marko Lasetic, a young uh, Serbian striker from Red Star Belgrade. Andrea Conte out, one of the big money Failures uh, in recent years brought from uh, from Atalanta for a substantial fee in the region of twenty million. A couple of bad knee injuries and it just never really worked out. They've also loaned out a bunch of young players. Um, we've mentioned Atalanta a few times, and obviously Golston's left. There was a lot of talk that Zabata could leave, um, which to me seemed really odd. They've brought in two players, both on loans with obligations to buy. Now, Mihaila, I don't know a whole lot about. He's at Parma. Um, but Jeremy Boga, to me, is one of the best signings of the window. I, I love this guy. I, he's he's somebody I would have been interested in seeing come back to the Premier League. Obviously, he came through the Chelsea Academy and is exceptionally talented. What do you think about him as a fit there? Brilliant. He's someone who can probably play in about five different roles for them, uh, depending on how, the, how they play in any given game. You can see him being one of the support forwards, uh, playing just off a central striker, for example, if it's about the carries on in the team. Equally, I could see him being someone who they play from midfield with the runs that they make. You can see him on the wing back. Uh, Roma then, Carl, bringing in Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Sergio Oliveira on loan uh, from Arsenal and Porto respectively, does that feel like enough to get them back in the top four mix? No, I don't think so. Um, if Ainsley Maitland-Niles, I mean, I don't mind Ainsley Maitland-Niles. I think he's an OK player. I think in the right system, he can add quite a lot to a team. But if he's the piece that you were missing to make a Champions League spot your own, then either there was something extremely lacking in your team or the league is not very good. Um, they are five points off and Atalanta have a game in hand. So, it's a big old gap there. I don't really see that there's going to be too much change. Even Oliveira as a, as a, a decent addition, is he going to play all that much to make an absolutely huge difference for them to close that gap? Um, I'm not really sure. I, I, don't, I don't honestly think that this Roma side are going to punch any higher than they are at the minute. If they finish above fifth, I would be astonished. But I think actually sixth is probably their ceiling at the minute. Yeah, that does feel about fair. Uh, some clubs have done a lot in this window, among them Genoa. Uh, five signings, four players in on loan, including Nadim Amiri from Bayer Leverkusen, Leo Ostergaard from Brighton. Um, they're in dire straits this season. It's been a disastrous year. They're already on their third or fourth manager. They had Shevchenko in for a while. They sacked him, and they don't really seem to have a clear identity of what they want to do. Uh, a lot of players have left on either loan or free transfer. Udinese, three players in. Filip Benkovic from Leicester, who had his contract terminated, and Pablo Mari from Arsenal on loan among them. Fiorentina have had uh, an, a busy window. Obviously, Vlahovic leaving. But they've brought in Christoph Piatek, who has obviously been in Serie A before and done very well made a move to AC Milan too early, didn't work out, went to Hertha Berlin, it hasn't worked out. He's now back in Syria, 
to replace Vlahovic at um, at Fiorentina. But they've also signed Arthur Cabral and Jonathan Iconi. So they've really gone hell for leather to try and boost their attack in the absence of their their predominant goal scorer. Yeah, Cabral's an interesting one. I'll be keen to watch him. I've not really seen an awful lot of him, but he was one of the ones who was linked with, I think, West Ham and Spurs and Arsenal and all those other sort of half-decent Premier League sides who were looking for a new attacker. So for him to land up at Fiorentina is a pretty interesting one. See how it all puts together because they're another team who tactically have chopped and changed from 3-5-2 to 4-2-3-1 and everywhere in between. So land them three attacking options, two of them who predominantly play as nines is... We'll see how that one gets put together, but obviously Vlajevic, one, gave them a lot of funds to spend, and two, a really, really big hole to fill from a tactical perspective. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, some teams are just crazy, like Salonatana <laughs> have brought All in 10 new players. 10 new players! Yeah, 11. 11, they got is another it today. It is 11, Diego Parati on a free as well. Um there's some good players, but the club that's really interesting to me is Venezia, the bo- bottom of the league, I believe. Michael Cuisance in from Bayern Munich. A couple of years ago, you'll remember, he was really highly regarded and being talked about as a player that could have huge value. Uh, his career has not gone in the right direction, but he's still only 22. He's moved there. And Nani, formerly of Manchester United, obviously, uh, joining from Orlando on a free transfer, that's a bit of a fun one as well. So it's it's probably a lost cause for them at the bottom of the league. Actually, that was wrong. They're fourth yep. from bottom. Talentana at bottom. Yeah. So, but maybe that keeps them up. Maybe that keeps them up. But Talentana, lots of business. Genoa, they've done a ton of business. Cagliari have not, and their season has also been. Uh, a bit of a catastrophe so far, but they've brought in a couple of players, nothing really of note. Diego Godin leaving, Martin Caceres leaving. Th- those are kind of the big moves that Calgary made, just getting those high earners off the wage bill. Uh, Diego Godin's time in Europe now over. What a, what a great defender he's been. But anything else that stood out for you from anybody else in Syria? I know I was going to mention the Bahinam one that you picked up on and another one as well at Genoa from uh, the yesteryear connections. They signed Kelvin Yeboah from Sturm Graz, uh, who is the nephew of former Leeds volley smasher, Anthony. Interesting. I did not know that link. That's a, that's a good one. That is a good one. Hopefully, hopefully he has his uncle's um, flair for the spectacular. Morton Friendrup. Uh, the young midfielder they've brought in from Bromby, he was linked to a couple of Premier League clubs. Brentford, obviously, because they sign all the Danish players. I think he was linked to Norwich as well. But he's meant to be quite good. Um, Yeah, look, Genoa are a mess from top to bottom. And the hope will be that some of these players can, can do well this season and keep them up. But it's not looking good. They are five points from safety and they've played a game more. So, yeah, it doesn't look good for them. Uh, let's move on then from Syria. Let's talk about La Liga. So, 
Barcelona is probably the best place to start. They've had an interesting window. I don't know if I'd say it's a good window, but it's certainly an interesting window. So they terminated the loan of Yusuf Demir, who I think is a super talented young player, but they didn't want to pay the obligation to buy or the option to buy come the summer. They've loaned Phil Coutinho and Inaki Pena to Aston Villa and Galatasaray, respectively. They've brought in Ferran Torres, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, and Adama Traore on loan. What what do you make of this window? Um, a cross between damage limitation and let's just go hell for leather and try and outscore teams to get into the top four. Uh, big problem that Barcelona have had under Xavi so far, and we are still dealing with a fairly small sample size of games. There are two main options, and together they, they sound really bad, but it hasn't been quite as bad as I'm going to make it sound. One, they still are really badly organised defensively. They still have periods of games where they just they look like they're about to run into each other. There are seven metre gaps between defenders at the back. Set pieces are not defended well. And Tesh Stegen, quite frankly, it looks like he's been abducted by aliens and they've just put a lookalike in, in his place for most of this mm. season. It's, it's, it's not been good. Uh, and at the other end of the pitch, lots more control, lots more... Um, you know, possession and style of play to try and hold the ball high upfield, but not a huge amount of cutting edge sometimes. You know, they've been relying on a moment of magic from Frankie de Jong or Ansu coming back from injury three or four times or Memphis's penalties, that sort of thing. A, a Luke de Jong header from close range kind of thing. It's not been it's not been too refined in the final third. So I think first and foremost, they want to give themselves a couple of options. I think the Ferran deal is pretty good for them. Uh, for now, on the long term, obviously, we've seen his versatility up close in, in the Premier League with Man City. So he's someone that they can play right the way across that front line. I think that's, first and foremost, the good thing for them. Danny Alves obviously coming in is, as we said, much more about the dressing room, the standards, trying to get people to behave a bit better on and off the pitch uh, and making it mean more. But he's actually come straight into the team and has done all right for them as well. So pretty good on those two counts. Adama, I think he could do really well here. But I don't know what level of coaching staff are really around Shabby at the moment. And that's still the thing that he needs. He needs someone who can help him um, find that final touch, the, the slowdown in both body speed and mentality in the final third to make the right pass, which I think he's got a lot better at over the last two years at Wolves, like lots and lots better. And this is a guy, I know the big thing about the no goals, no assists for ages this season, but he has been sort of the outlet and the ball carrier when he's been in the team for Wolves for a forward line that really doesn't score any goals. So even when his balls and his deliveries have been pretty good, there's not really been the quality on the end of them to make them count. So I think it should be better for him here. I think that his numbers could be pretty good. And I think that he fits in the team quite nicely uh, while, you know, Ansu might be out injured again for maybe the rest of the season if he has to have surgery. I think he'll get game time and score goals. Aubameyang, I think, is rubbish, pure and simple. I think this is a fairly standard Barcelona mid-season. We need another forward who can score some goals move, but I've never really liked this approach that they have. Aubameyang, I don't think, has been any good at all for about three years, save for the odd game where he really decides he's going to go for it. But his work rate is rubbish. His movement is nowhere near what it used to be. And even the pace and the acceleration and the finishing, which used to be his big three things, find yourself a yard, get away from the defender, and be absolutely unerring into the corner. We don't really see it anymore. 
you know, he doesn't score loads and loads of goals anymore. He certainly didn't for Arsenal. So whether it'll be new environment and all the rest of it, which gives him a boost, we'll wait and see. But overall, I think this was just about giving themselves more options, more chance of scoring goals because they've got themselves back into the top four running. And if they get into the Champions League, that's a really, really big turnaround for them in terms of the finances because they've cleared like 160 million off the wage bill already. Coutinho out for the season. Obviously, Dembele's contract's going to be gone from next year. Messi's, Messi's deal was huge, huge in terms of the weight of financial value that it was for them. Uh, and then when you added all the restructured deals that they've done for Titi and uh, Jordi Alba and Piquet and all the rest of them, they've saved a lot of money this season and going forward as well. The other one that I would say that they had to get done was Alex Goyado, who they really wrecked at the start of the season, uh, failing to get him alone and failing to register him to play him as well. So he couldn't actually play for the seniors or the B team. And basically they gave him half a year of doing nothing. So good to see him go to Granada and hopefully get a load of games. You're on mute, Dave. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a, a good deal for them to to get him alone. A good move for him, obviously, to get alone because he he had just been sitting kicking his heels for the last six months, and that's not what a player at his age, twenty two, needs to be doing. Uh, I'm with you on the Obama Yang one. I, I don't really get it. Adama, like you say, it just does depend on whether somebody can finally sort out the fact that his body and his brain don't need to work at the same speed all the time. And that just because he's running really fast, his brain does not to be need to be in a complete flap. Um, and we'll see how Ferran does. I mean, there's, there's obviously a lot of talent there, but is he going to be the nine? Is he going to play off the right? It, it remains to be seen what the long-term plan is. Uh, Real Madrid did nothing. Somewhat surprising. I thought they might look to make one addition in defence, but they have decided to hold Pat. It looks like their plans for the summer are, are quite substantial. Atletico Madrid sold Kieran Trippier to Newcastle, brought in Mandava, a left-back from Lille, and Daniel Vass from Valencia. I assume he's coming in to replace Trippier right-back. I'm not a fan of him. But, uh, you know, they seem to be working to quite a tight budget. Sevilla were busy. They brought in Corona from Porto. He was coming up to the, towards the end of his contract. So it is a clever enough move. It's quite a Simeone-type player. And Anthony Martial on a loan. Now, I don't believe there's an option to buy him. But he could be a big addition for them, Carl, if he can rediscover his form from a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, it was only post-lockdown when Martial had his really, really good run of form. So it's not that long ago, and I think he hit over 20 goals all competitions that season. Uh, I, again, I think with quite a lot of the United forwards, it was about not really having a clear role and not really having a clear setup for the rest of the team behind him either. Um, I think, uh, I said quite a lot of the time, I think Rashford and Martial, when they had those two, and then Cavani, when they brought him in as well, they should have played it two up front. I think it would have benefited most of them more than what they did. Obviously, having Fernandez there as well made that a bit more tricky to manage. And I guess for Sevilla, he's going to be the guy from the left, if anything at all. Um, with Munir, 
in and out for most of the season. Ocampos, I think, is a, a guaranteed starter whenever he's fit, to be perfectly honest. I don't think he's getting in there, but it does give them options in the final third in terms of you know a game-changing attacking option. Um, a little bit more pace as well, probably. That's something that maybe they, they have lacked um, other than Lucas Ocampos, but if they've got use of a nasery for example through the middle he's not the quickest player Eric Lamella who they yeah. brought in and is out injured as well at the minute as well uh, not the quickest of players Suso not the quickest of players Rafa Mir not the quickest of players so gives them a little bit of a, an alternative but I don't know that he's going to be a, a guaranteed starter uh, that's what I would say I think certainly yeah. across half of the season we might be looking at him maybe getting some game time from the start but quite a lot of the time maybe a, a a second half sub help them change the flow of the game. You got to remember people like Papu Gomez there as well. For example, um, these are the players who regularly play, and there's no scope to just move the midfield around because that team is built on a three. Agreed. And the I suppose the thing for them though is it is just one more weapon in their arsenal. They are obviously going to be competing on two fronts, so it's possible he just plays a bit more in the Europa League than in the in the league itself. But they're only, what, four points behind Real Madrid? 16 games left. They've kept Diego Carlos. It does seem like they are all in on trying to at least win the title this season. And if they fall short, they'll fall short. But nobody will be able to say they didn't give it a go. Um, I, I like the... Um, I like their chances in the Europa League because, you know, it's, well, it's Sevilla and it's the Europa League and it's what they do. I was a little bit surprised to see Real Betis not do anything. Given that they're currently third in the league, I thought they might look to bring in one or two to supplement what they have and try and sustain that push for Champions League spot. Yeah, possibly so because of obviously Barca's improvement and closing the gap in terms of points as well. I still do think it'll be a little bit difficult for Betis to finish in the top four this year. They're relying mm. on a few players staying fit and in form. Uh, they've had quite a, a reasonably settled side. I think it's really good to see Sevilla and Betis in second and third for La Liga as a whole, um, but less so when you consider that it's not just down to their improvement, but ridiculous drop-off from Barcelona, ridiculous drop-off from Atletico after a title-winning season. Um, I like this Betis side, I have to say, but I don't necessarily think that it's one which is built for sustained success. I think this is a really big season from a few really key players, um, even people like William Carvalho. They've had there for quite a long time. He's sort of made a position his own almost over over a run of games this season with people like Guardado and William Jose and Sergio Canales, these are not young players who they're going to build around for you know, five years. These are all 29, 30, 31-year-old players. So mm. it kind of is a season where they really need to make sure they finish in the top four, capitalise on what they've given themselves a bit of a platform in the first half of the season. And then maybe that next year they get to play that one Champions League campaign. Unless there are major additions, I struggle to see them staying up there, to be honest. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement. I think there's... There's, there's a lot riding on a lot of older players here and any sort of injury could really hamper them. I mean, you know, you, you can look back to front at this team and, you know, Victor Ruiz is not a young player. Um, Canelas, like you mentioned, not a young player. Carvalho, not a young player. Cuadrado, 
are Guardado, not a not a young player. And obviously, Nabil Fakir is having a really good season for them as he did last year. And he's not a young player anymore either. I mean, he what is he? He's twenty eight. He's had a history of knee issues. They're a very very. They're a very, very fun team to watch and to root for, though. Like, they're the one team you would really like to see go into the Champions League and just play their football. They're, they are just fun. That's the only thing I can think to say about them. They are just fun. I will say I do very much like uh, Guido Rodriguez in midfield. He, he's a player that I think could play for basically anybody. Um, but nice to see Carvalho getting more minutes as well because it looked last season like he might be on his way out and uh, this season he's had a bit of a bounce back year so I'm happy for him yeah for sure anything sorry I think that the, the team has gelled really really well this season I think it is a case of like even like I just said for, for Carvalho it's, this is his best season in terms of minutes or it's going to be very very soon since his first season at Betis and it's mm. kind of like a few of those key players have just found their best form and obviously probably the, the manager being a bit better than they've had in previous seasons has got something to do with that but the, it's all come together just at the right moment for, for most of them and even with like Fekir and his contract situation there was talk that he could go not going to be the case again and Guardado just seems to be Superman who can play for forever apparently and I hope that they do see it through I think it would be very very good for, for somebody else in La Liga to take that really big step but in a little bit similar to the way we discussed about West Ham you wonder if that might be their missed opportunity for not having done any business at all yeah that's definitely possible even if it had been a loan like you know couldn't a Brian Hill on loan have helped them and maybe he wouldn't have gone there given his ties to Sevilla um but he's gone to Valencia Valencia have signed him Alex Mariba on loan coming back to Spain after not really settling in at RB Leipzig. Um, Valencia doing little bits to try and solidify themselves in mid-table and make maybe make a second-half run towards a Europa League spot. Villarreal, their big addition is uh, Giovanni Lo Celso coming in. But, I mean, again, couldn't Real Betis maybe have gone and tried to loan him back? He might have been able to do bits and pieces for them in midfield. I know one deal that you'll be very pleased with, and that is Real Sociedad bringing in your man Rafinha on loan from Paris Saint-Germain. It feels like if he can stay fit, he could play a pretty big role for them across the back half of this season. They're desperately in need of more creativity to lead to more goals. Only 22 goals this season thus far. Uh, only, Only... Athletic Club de Bilbao have scored less in the top half. Maybe it's just, is it just a Basque thing this season not to score many goals? Because Osasuna have only scored 22 as well. Yeah, I mean, La Real had such a good start to the season. I think it was always unlikely they were going to keep that up. But the scale of the drop-off has been a bit worrying, to be perfectly honest. Now, they have picked up again since the turn of the year. I think they're four or five unbeaten across all competitions now, but they had a big drop off where they only won like two or three in the space of nearly two and a half months, three months, something like that. Um, injuries definitely hampered them, but like you see, the creativity I think is something that they've needed for a while in central midfield. I think it's fine. I think with you know, Miguel Marino being quite deep, 
the outlet there to be able to play through midfield is fine, but in the final third, they have struggled. If it's not Isak making a good run forward, if if they haven't got Sordalot as a, a bit more of a target man to lay it off. I mean, nobody in the team has more than one assist other than Porto, and he's only a, a bench player. He has two. But there you go. That's where they are this season. They have one player with more than one assist. Yeah, and, and that's for a team that plays in the style that they do, that's really, really disappointing. Is there anything else that caught your eye in La Liga this transfer window? Uh, other than teams not doing business, I mean, you mentioned Real Madrid, I think understandable to an extent given the outlay we expect them to have to have, certainly in terms of salary and agents' fees in the summer. And I think they probably think that they're four points ahead already. They have got that game, I think it's in late April, if I remember rightly, against Sevilla. So that might be the, the title deciding one as such. I don't see anybody else getting remotely close to them for a real, genuine title fight to take it off uh, Real Madrid's hands. But I think they've probably done enough already. And they've got themselves a little gap and they expect it to maybe increase by another point or two along the way. And then they've just got to hold off Sevilla in that one game. And they've got the title. So they didn't really need to spend to achieve that ambition this season, I don't think. Um Elsewhere, Athletic didn't do anything. Uh, Levante didn't really do anything other than I think they signed Cáceres on a free. And down at the bottom, there was the usual mix of loans, free transfers and desperate swaps to achieve probably not a lot in the end. Uh, Vedat Mariki going to Mallorca, I think, was the only one that caught my eye because it was such a bad deal when Lazio signed him in the first place. Yeah, yeah, he, he did not work for Lazio at all. Tony Vilhena coming to uh, Espanyol from Krasnodar is an interesting one. When he came through at Feyenoord, he was very, very highly regarded. And it, his career has just gone a little bit a little bit sideways. But he is a very talented player and one who could make a difference for Espanyol. Uh, let's jump to the Bundesliga. So we will start, obviously, with Bayern, who don't really need to do a whole lot, but brought in Adrian Fine as a young player on loan from Gruta Firth, uh, sold Cuisance. RB Leipzig, couple of loans in, not a whole lot being done there. Nobody in for Borussia Dortmund. Wolfsburg were busy. Uh, they brought in Jonas Wind from Copenhagen, Kevin Paredes from DC United, and Max Kruis from Union Berlin to replace Wout Weghorst, who is obviously gone to Burnley. Um, Eintracht fairly much stood pat. Bayer Leverkusen brought in Sardar Ausman, who they had agreed a pre-contract with for the summer. They're getting him now. I think that could be a big addition. Uh, Panagiotos Retzos, the centre-back they signed with much hype a few years ago, who spent some time on loan at Sheffield United. He left on a free transfer for Hellas Verona. And Nadam Amiri is gone on loan to Genoa. Um, Anything standing out at you from the Bundesliga in this window? Uh, The Asmund deal is definitely an interesting one. Um, They apparently signed him without Zenit's knowledge or whatever to speak to him, even though he's going to be out of contract. And apparently Zenit's were... Happy to sue Leverkusen, sue Asmoon, hold his registration, do whatever they needed to until they got their way. So that's why they've ended up with a bit of money and a move now. 
Uh, Jonas Rind has been spoken about quite highly in a number of places, especially those who keep an eye on the data version of the players. And uh, I think that's a, a very interesting to watch, but an expensive one for Wolfsburg to do, considering the position that they are in. Uh, if, you, if you're not following the Bundesliga, Wolfsburg have taken a running jump off a cliff and not even bothered to take a parachute with them. Mm. And they are I think, one place above the relegation spots at the minute, just a couple of points in it, lost five of the last six, that sort of thing. Terrible, terrible season. Uh, Leipzig, like you mentioned, Eli Schlieven, that's not really gone to plan, considering, again, how acrimonious that was in the summer when he left Barcelona. And Dortmund not doing anything at all, I think, speaks volumes about how they think a six-point gap looks at the top of the Bundesliga. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And it's it's disappointing because, you know, this is the last chance they're going to have with Haaland. He'll leave in the summer. Um, and you would have thought they might just have look to bring in somebody that could give them a chance to really have a uh, have a go at Bayern over the last 14 games. But it wasn't to be. The Bundesliga has been absolutely crazy this year. You've got Gladbach in 12th, Wolfsburg in 15th, Stuttgart in 17th, Augsburg are 16th, and they obviously signed Ricardo Pepe from FC Dallas. Now, this kid's really highly regarded and was being shopped around to basically all of Europe. Looked like he could be going to a number of different clubs, but Augsburg are the one who jumped in. They've paid a club record fee to get him. What's your thoughts on him as a signing there? So I haven't seen too much of him. Liverpool were linked, and I mentioned at the time that I'd, I'd not really watched too much of MLS as a whole this year. So I did take a, a few games in of his but then when it became apparent he was going over to Augsburg or to Germany at the time it wasn't sure where uh, I actually stopped so I've still only seen a couple of games his movement looks quite sharp uh, for for a very young player that's quite intelligent in terms of his on the ball work and his link play that sort of thing I'm interested to see if that is to go straight into the team you know throughout the whole of this season as a, as a regular starter or one that they're going to look to build for next year again uh, because you look at Augsburg's position and threatened by relegation. Yes, they need a few mm. more goals immediately, but can you immediately rely on a teenager to do it who's utterly untested? Uh, the more overarching Bundesliga theme, I think, which is interesting there, is that it has very, very quickly become somewhere where Americans, and particularly young Americans, can just go. That's where you step to when you come out of MLS and you want to move to Europe. This seems to be really, really quickly the place you go. Uh, he left Dallas, obviously, but Justin Shea as well left Dallas and has gone mm. to Hoffenheim. And we have seen, uh, who was it? Bello's gone to Armenia from Atalanta as well. And there was another one as well who I've completely forgotten at the minute. I think there were four that went from America to MLS this, uh, sorry, from MLS to the Wolves, oh, Kevin Paredes. The, yeah, yes, Paredes, yeah. To Wolfsburg. Yeah, and you know, I, I don't know if you've seen this yet, but the Bayern Munich. Uh, documentary series on Amazon Prime is absolutely fantastic watch. I highly recommend it to everybody. Now, obviously, it's in German, so you have to put subtitles on. You can, if you're just feeling weird, you can listen to it dubbed, and the dubbed voice, if you choose English, is some American Donny, and it's quite disturbing to listen to. So just just listen to the German audio and put on your English subtitles. It does make it 
uh, much easier than having to listen to somebody else talking over Hansi Flick and others. But it's really interesting. Like, it's not just your typical, you know, in among the players and, and bits and pieces. Like, there's extended sit-down interviews with Oliver Kahn, with um, Hassan Salahamazic, with Rummenigge, with all of the big name sort of high up board members at Bayern talking about, you know, the, the history of the club, they splice it really well. So you get a lot about the history, the lot about a lot about the now, and a lot about their plans for the future. And one of the things I found really interesting was this connection and this link up that they have in partnership with FC Dallas. And they were talking about how the American market is going to be so important to them because football is obviously exploding over there. They've got offices in New York and things like that. It's it's really, really in-depth, behind-the-scenes stuff. So if you haven't seen it, I insist you go and watch it. It's six parts. They're all about 47 to 51 minutes, so it's it's not a big commitment. You can do it over a couple of evenings. It is brilliant. Like It's by far the best one of these series that I've seen. Um, I've just actually started the Borussia Dortmund one from a couple of years ago. And it's excellent so far as well. I watched the first episode last night. But yeah, I don't know if you've seen that, Carl, but definitely worth a watch and shows how much of a of a of an eye on MLS and American football in general. Not American football, but football in America, I suppose is the way to put it, that the Bundesliga clubs, including Bayern, are starting to take. Yeah, I've not watched it, but I'll put that on the on the list to keep an eye on, yeah. Sounds good. Um, I think that's basically it for the Bundesliga. Marvin Marvin Friedrich from Union Berlin to Gladbach is an interesting one. Gladbach looks set to lead, to lose Matthias Ginter in the summer, so you'd imagine he's the replacement for him. They obviously sold Zakaria and they loaned Hannes Wolf to Swansea, and I think that could be one to watch. He's a really fun player, so keep an eye on him at Swansea. Uh, the last of the major leagues for us to touch on then is is Ligue 1. And there's not really a whole lot that's happened that's of interest. PSG have been very quiet. Rafinha leaving on loan, the only real noticeable thing. Monaco brought in... Um, Monaco brought in Vanderson. And they loaned Pellegri out to Torino. He had been on loan at Milan, but it hadn't gone well. Leon had a busy window, obviously selling Bruno Gomes and bringing in Romain Favre, who's very, very highly regarded. Bringing back Endombele on loan, I think, could be a stroke of genius if it works out. And aside from that, there's not really a whole lot that's happened in France in this window. Obviously, they're still feeling feeling the aftermath of the pandemic and the collapse of their TV deal there, but a lot of clubs keeping their their money very tightly wrapped up in their you know sock drawer or wherever they keep it. Not a whole lot being spent. No, I think most of the additions, even at the, at the higher end of the table, like Marseille, they brought in Cedric Bacambo on a free transfer. Probably a decent addition, to be honest. He was very, very good in uh, Spain with Villarreal for a while. 
decent all-round centre-forward, can run in behind, hold up play quite good, fierce shot on him. I don't know how he's been getting on in China, but that's where he's been for a while now, and he's left on a free. So he's back in Europe, and you know, I wouldn't say they've got a shot at the title, but certainly they're looking to re-establish themselves among France's top teams, Champions League places, that sort of thing. So probably a decent addition for them there, you would think. Said Kolasinac on a free transfer from Arsenal is probably neither here nor there. Um, Leon's deals, I think, are certainly the most interesting, and not just because they are the more high-end in terms of the money, but even Islam Slomani letting him go back to Sporting after another failed loan, another failed mm. move, it kind of just shows that in players and the styles that they they bring to a team when you look at them as a plan B, or they thrive in one system and then they move somewhere else to a bigger club, but doesn't go the same way. It's so, so important. And I think it's starting to happen more and more now where the players themselves and the agents are getting involved in the sort of reverse transfers almost, where they have to now go to, let's say, a team of an external team who do who deal in data. And they will say to him, show us what the strengths and the weaknesses of this player are. Uh, tell us which teams are most suitable. And from there, they can sort of start approaching teams rather than the other way around, as it has usually been team scouts and players and choosing who they want to buy. This is something we'll see more and more of. And I think Slimani is a very, very good example of why, because it goes horribly, horribly wrong. And his career has been rubbish since his moves. Um, mm. Elsewhere, Thiago Maia, I suppose, is a potentially interesting one if he ever comes back um, to to Europe. His, his loan ended basically over in Flamengo, and now he's gone back to them on a permanent deal. It didn't really work out as well as I expected it to. So I'm wondering if, you know, years down the line, we see people like him and uh, Gabriel Barbosa come back to Europe and second time around, maybe it's a, a big jump in impact, probably is the word, rather than quality for them. Um, Lille, difficult to say what's happened to them, but signing Hatton Ben Arfa midway through the season at 34 years age is probably a good example of what. <laughs> Hatem Ben Arfa, one of the biggest wastes of talent of the past 15 years. Uh, disappointed to see uh, Dario Benedito go back to Boca Juniors. I had hoped that when he moved to Europe, he would be a success, but he has not been a success. Um, Kalasnik may well get some games because obviously Jordan Amavi has left Marseille to go to Nice. So we'll wait and see there. Did see a couple of interesting ones. One that I think is kind of fun if you're waiting to see how this player manages to screw up another situation for himself. Nabil Bentaleb has signed for Angers. Um, he falls out with everybody everywhere he goes. So excited to see how he manages at this time. But two to keep an eye on, not necessarily for how they do where they are, but well, yeah, for how, how they do where they are and how much they develop. Because these two, I think, will be in line for big moves in a couple of years. Anel Ahmed Hozic going from Malmo to Bordeaux. I think it's a loan with an option to buy or an obligation to buy in the summer. He's a super talented young centre-back. 22, dominant in the air. Was at Nottingham Forest for a while. Made the move back. Bosnian, Bosnian international, really talented. Jens Cahust from Mittelland to Stad Reims, I'm a bit surprised by. If you remember in the summer, he was been linked with Premier League moves. 
And I'm a little bit surprised that Reams have managed to get him. They've paid $9 million, so it's a big outlay for them. But he's very, very talented. And he's one that could well develop into a, a very, very good player over the next two years. One that we've played against as well in the Champions League. Yeah, and, and was, was, was the, probably the standout player for them in the game in Mitteland. So, yeah, that's, that's just one to keep an eye on. And that's basically it for transfers. Let's quickly just look at the weekend's game. Liverpool play Cardiff, Carl, in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Cardiff are not particularly good, I think I'll say, being polite. They are currently sitting 20th in the championship. Uh, they have won back-to-back games, which obviously is is a sign that they're turning the season potentially around a little bit because they had looked like they were going to get caught up in the, the relegation scrap at the foot of the the championship. Now, Steve Morrison took over from Mick McCarthy in November. McCarthy had a disastrous start to the season after going in the summer and, you know, bringing in a bunch of free transfers, money quite tight at Cardiff these days. This month, they've been quite active. They've brought in five players on loan. Uh, Cody Drama, the young right-back from Leeds. Tommy Doyle, young midfielder coming in from Manchester City. He was at Hamburg on loan in the first half of the season. The loan didn't really work out. Alfie Doughty of Stoke. Uh, another young player. Not sure he'll play a whole bunch, but he's definitely a talented player. Jordan Hugel, who's been kicking around for years, he's come in on loan from Norwich. And Uche Piazu, I'm probably butchering his name, in from Middlesbrough. Um, I think Guy told me the other day he was one of those kind of Neil Warnock type of signings. Um have you seen much of Cardiff this year? Do you worry at all about Cardiff in this game? Or is this one that we should be winning regardless of anything else? <laughs> Against the 20th place championship side. I'm being diplomatic. Uh, yes. yes, Liverpool should win this game regardless of anything else. Uh, a couple of those transfers, interesting. And a couple of them pretty much like for like. Uh, they lost Kiefer Moore. He was one of the yes. many thousands of players who signed for Bournemouth on deadline day. So uh, Jordan Hughes coming in for him is basically a like for like big lump up top, but probably not as good. So I expect that he will be, for example, one of the ones who comes straight in and starts. You know, Kiefer Moore was Cardiff's top scorer of the season. And I'm not going to say that they, they, they're not going to have any chance without him. I think Hugel I think he scored this year with five goals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think Hugel started one of those recent wins that they had. They came straight in and scored. I can't remember if his debut or his second game, something like that. So they're, they're obviously just throwing him straight in. So you'd expect him to be leading the line against us. It doesn't matter. These are these are you know big, powerful guys, and they're going to be up for it because of the giant killing nature in the cup and all the rest of it. But basically, what you started with is still the right answer. They're not that good. So yes, Liverpool should be winning this game anyway, and it doesn't really matter who Cardiff play or how up for it they are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, to be fair, it, anything other than a comfortable win is is going to be disappointing here for Liverpool, considering, as I said earlier, that they're just they're just not very good, and they've just lost their top scorer, and his his five goals will be will be hard to replicate. Um, 
you look up and down the squad, there's a few players that, you know, Leandro Bakunu, uh, Bakuna, he's a, he's a decent enough ball winner in midfield. James Collins is a bit of a grok. There's nobody else really that is jumping off the page. My God, Mick McCarthy had put together a bit of a mess here, hadn't he? Mark McGinnis. Mark McGinnis is decent centre-back. The Irish lad, he's all right. Um, don't know. To be honest, I, I genuinely, and I feel bad saying this, I don't know a lot of these players. Marlon Pack is a good player. He was at Bristol for a few years. He's all right. But, yeah, I mean, a- anything other than a comfortable victory here, and I- I'm going to be upset. Um, what about us, then? What What do you expect to see from Liverpool? Because I saw some discussion last night about what the team might be, and some people were saying, oh, you know, it'll be Kelleher and Milner and Gomez and Kanate and Simicus and Ox and uh, Tyler Morton and Curtis Jones and then whatever's available up front, maybe Kate Gordon, Tacky and Bobby. But I don't think Jurgen Klopp is going to play a weakened team in this game, Carl, because a lot of the first-team players haven't played in two weeks. And I don't think he'll want them going into the Cardiff game cold after almost a three-week break, because we've seen in the past how much of a negative effect that can have on us coming back off extended periods without games. So I think he's going to go with a fairly strong team. Yeah, uh, cold against the Leicester match, the one after it, yeah. Leicester, Um, sorry, yeah, the Leicester game, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, I think there will be an element of, you know, changing around. For example, I don't think that we'll play all the backups and the youngsters, but a few of them might, and then some of the seniors might get half the game. Or, you know, there's, we've often done the, the planned change on 45 minutes. Again, I think with the competition where we do get the extra sub and the opportunity to play one or two, for example, Fabinho and Allison come back late with Brazil. So I do expect Keller had to still start and maybe someone else to get a run in the midfield. But whether that's Henderson starts as the six, for example, and that's his warm-up game, and then he's ready. And then one of the midfielders, Naby Keita, is back, obviously, from AFCON duty. He's already been in Mm. training, so he should be ready to play as well. We'll wait and see on the fitness of Thiago and so on. But maybe I would expect at least part of the game for them, Curtis Jones, to carry on. He'd been in the team just before this international break. So I think it will be a stronger side. I don't think it'll be either one of... uh, let's say, a cup team or the strongest Premier League team. I think there will be a few elements of both just in terms of being sensible for, like I said, those who have been off on international duty. Takimina Mina, for example, has been on World Cup duty. So, yeah, okay, he could play because we're lacking Salah and Mane, who are both gone to the latter stages of the AFCON, but also he's been playing on the international duty. When does he even get back from Japan? Is it going to be just on the Friday? So I don't think it's going to be a completely weakened side. And I would be very, very surprised if he just let you know all the youngsters play in this one. I would expect people like Jota to play, Andy Robertson mm. to probably play. Uh, if they're fit, then at least one of Trent, Virgil and Matip to play, if not two, and maybe another one comes on at the break. Yeah, I, I'm sort of looking at potentially Kelleher and goal, Trent, Robbo, Konate, and Virgil, and maybe Matip comes on at halftime for Virgil, and Kanate switches sides. Um, Henderson is the six. Maybe 
Nabi starts as one of the eights with Curtis as the other. And maybe at halftime or on 60, perhaps, Thiago comes on for one. And maybe Harvey Elliott comes on for the other. Um, and I think we'll be looking at something along the lines of an Ox, Bobby, Jota front three. Which is pretty good. That's That should be more than enough to beat a, a lower championship side, you know. So it's plenty of minutes, opportunities for those who need them. Um, we know Thiago's actually back in full training as of mm. yesterday, I believe. So, you know, I think he should be available for at least a bit of play, assuming there's no setback in his first couple of sessions. And look, maybe one or two of the, the youngsters will be on the bench. Maybe Kate Gordon, because we don't have a, a full complement of forwards available just at the moment. Uh, Max Waltman's probably the other one who's been involved vaguely in the squads over the last few weeks before the international break, but there's not going to be hordes of them. Maybe Joe Gomez coming in because he's not had a lot of game time, for example. That might be one of the proper second string teams who does get a full game or close to a full game. But even if he does, it's not going to be third and fourth choice centre-back. It's going to be him and Virgil, let's say, or Virgil gets half of the game, like I said. Yeah. Yeah, I think it will be a strong enough team. And I, I look, Jurgen has clearly taken the cups a little bit more seriously this season. We're in one final. It'd be kind of nice to go ahead and have a good cup run here as well. And the great thing about playing more games in the cup is it does lead to more minutes for Joe Gomez and Ibu Kanate and maybe Costa Simicus plays instead of Robbo. Um, it gives more opportunity to Curtis Jones, to Ox. And players that maybe would be looking at their futures and thinking, am I really going to get the minutes I want here? Am I going to play enough? Well, if Liverpool are competing in all four competitions and going far in the domestic cups, that alone can be an extra 12, 13 games a season that they can play in. So, you know, why not? Why not take it seriously? Why not try and win the fucking thing? You're in it anyway. You might as well go and win it. Uh, I'm going to predict 5-0 Reds win, Carl. I'm going all in. 5-0. Jordan Hugel. I know he's from Norwich, so you might have a little bit of a soft spot for him, or he's a Norwich player, but he's shit. I don't. He, he's fucking awful. And he was awful on his last loan, and I expect him to be largely awful for Cardiff. I know he scored already, but still. So did uh, Ick Pizu, and uh, he's not very good either. So I'm going to go ahead and say we smacked the life out of these and beat them 5-0. Okay, I am perfectly fine with that. I am going to slightly trump you and go for a (laughs) 6-1. Of course. (laughs) I expect (laughs) there to be one one sloppy moment at the back, just again, based on what you've said. We haven't played. We tend to start a little bit sluggishly. The thing Mm. I hope doesn't happen is that we start so sluggishly, it has to be a grind of a 1-0. Oh, that'd be horrible. Or one of them where we fall behind and have to grind our way back to 2-1. Are they there? No, I'm not not feeling the love for anything like that. If we go behind, just call it off. Just make the five subs. Bring on five lads out of the stands. Whoever's wearing a shirt, give them a pair of shorts. Send them on in their shoes, the runners, whatever they have. And just play it out like that. Let's all go home. Right, that will do us for today, Carl. Anything you want to plug before we leave today? Yeah, i got uh, La Liga piece coming out uh, before the weekend which involves a little chat with uh, William Carvalho from Real Betis I will have a piece on other games to watch around Europe this weekend and indeed beyond 
think it's uh, including pretty much every part of the world this year that you can think of. And uh, I also wanted just to touch on Portuguese transfers. I'm not going to do a big section of them. I'm just going to point out a couple of the more interesting ones that have moved. Uh, Marcus Edwards, English winger, who was linked to the move with Spurs and a few others a while back. He's now gone to Sporting. He was already playing in Portugal. That's a decent one to watch, given how you know they let young players thrive. I think he's 22, 23 now, so he's not mm. the youngest, but he's at a really good place. He's been playing very, very well. Um, as a team, Famali Sal were a really impressive team to watch a couple of years ago. They had a lot of players on loan. Uh, brought them through. Bode was one of them who has been linked to Liverpool in the last season or so. They've brought in a few players, um, including Jean de Cadiz, who's gone, gone to Benfica from uh, from the Americas and then has been loaned over to Family South for the rest of the season. They've also signed Jean-Carlos Teixeira, who was a, a Liverpool youth player and played a couple of games for us under Jürgen Klopp. Um, Estoril Braia have brought in Jordi Embula on loan, who, if anybody remembers, was this ridiculously talented La Masia kid at Barcelona, who yeah. they refused to give game time to. He went to Monaco uh, about five years ago as a teenager, 17, 18, something like that. And talented though he is, football-wise, hasn't quite worked out for him. He ended up at Mallorca earlier on the season, and now he's on loan in Portugal. And the other one that I did note down, I have completely forgotten about, so never mind. <laughs> um, I I do really like that move for Marcus Edwards. He when he was breaking through at Spurs, he was really highly regarded. Like there were Spurs fans saying, "This is the most talented young player we've produced since Kane," and he's far more talented than Kane was at the same age. Like he's got the potential to be a star. That's a really fun team to watch. So I hope he does really, really well. I'm glad to see him staying in Portugal. It seems to suit him there. So I'm glad to see that happening. Um, interested with Galeno joining Porto. He's done well at Braga. So curious to see how he does there. Really disappointed to see Porto signing Ruben Semedo, uh, mm. who is a, an absolute scumbag. So, you know, massive, massive points off there for him. Um, who he's, was he banned from? He's banned from entering Spain, I think, for another couple of years. So that's always fun. I, there was one other one that I, I just, for the life of me, I can't remember what it was. Uh, perennial Manchester um, United target Nicolas Gaetan has joined Passos de Ferreira. He's back in Portugal. Outstanding. Where he was coming from, was he in China? He was in Peñarol most recently. He was at uh, Uruguay. Oh, interesting. Yeah, his career hasn't gone as expected. Yeah, the other one I, I that I spotted that I found strange. Actually, there was two. Both loans out of Benfica. Now, I think you'll go a long way before you'll find a club who's made a bigger mess of themselves than Benfica in recent years. But two players who came through their academy were exceptionally highly rated were touted as big, big parts of their future and big, big future sales. Ferro, the centre-back, who I maintain is a good player, he's gone on loan to Hajduk Split in the Croatian League, which clearly his career is not going where he wants. And Jensen Fernandez, who, I mean, when he broke through, they were calling him the next Vieira. Uh, he's gone on loan to Rizespor in Turkey. It, 
I don't know what it is with Benfica, but Florentino Luiz is another one that came through the academy and then hit a massive wall. Unless players get out of there at like 18, 19, they just don't seem to have any way of properly developing them and getting them to the first team. I know Diaz got there and then they sold him for big money, but he's him and Joe Felix might just be special cases. And Joe Felix left at 19 anyway. But what a bizarre club. And they're massively in debt. And they're left with a big bunch of lumbering contracts like Otamendi and Vertonghen and people like this who just, I mean, they're not good. They're not good. The big rebuild where they went all in and got Jorge, or, uh, Jorge Jesus back as manager has been a catastrophe for Benfica. European curse shall therefore continue. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Right, then we will leave it there. Thank you, as always, for listening, folks. Thank you to Mr. Drinkle for doing what he does. And we will see you next week. Follow Carl on Twitter, at Carl Matchett. Read his work on The Independent, and this is Anfield. And follow Guy Drinkle, at Guy Drinkle. If you just search Big Ebu Shagger, uh, or Big Shagger Ebu, I think it is, he will come up on your Twitter feed. Uh, That will do us, folks. Take care. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.